Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Life and Books and Everything. I'm Kevin DeYoung, Senior Pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina. Today I am joined by Alistair Begg. Alistair, I am honored. You're a, you're, you're a hard man to, to get to, to talk to, and I appreciate you guarding your time. I very much do. So I'm honored that you would come. Thanks for joining us. It's a privilege, actually. Um, if it was in any way difficult for us to achieve this, it's I think because of both of our commitments on either side. That that, so, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to talk about, as this podcast says, some life and some books and some everything. I think I've I've shared this with you before, Alistair, that I I first came across you by radio. You probably get that from a lot of people. Way back, when did you start doing the Truth For Life programs? Late 90s? Yeah, maybe 95, 1995, on a a fairly limited basis at that time, I think. So one of the stations in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you you probably went there first to Jerusalem to make sure there were some programs. (laughs) I know that, or Colorado Springs. Or Colorado Springs, yeah. yeah. So it was the the late 90s or thereabouts, uh, the end of my college years, and then the beginning of seminary. So I, I grew up in the church, and then in college, I had friends introduce me to... Lloyd Jones and I got all these Banner of Truth books and uh, reading Calvin and one of the things that that implanted in me, which was kind of bad but sort of served me well, is I was I was very snobbish about anything current. Meaning, mm-hmm. I went into a Christian bookstore and I assumed these books are all probably terrible, right. uh, a, a bit snobbish, but actually, you know, served me somewhat well. So when I came across a radio preacher, my first instinct was, this is no probably going to yeah, gonna be no good. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I was driving, I was commuting uh, at the time one summer, and I heard yours. And of course, I'm sure you get this all the time, but people in America are, wow, an accent. And, <laughs> and so I just, I just kept listening, and I would start to time my... And, and at the time, I think you were on in the morning and in the afternoon, and I would time my commute, which was about you know, 25 minutes or a half hour just to fit perfectly with Truth For Life. And uh, then I started, you know, buying the tapes. You came out to Gordon Conwell in Boston one uh, year when I was a student there. So long time listener and uh, first time podcaster. So thank you for all of that. How did that start? Because uh, radio, even today, is a really big part of what you do. And I now know, you know, you can get Truth For Life on the app or, or the in the podcast, but how did you start in radio? And have there been times over these years you thought, eh, nobody does radio anymore. We're going to do something else. Well, uh, first of all, you make me feel very old by, <laughs> by telling that story. Uh-huh. Um, but that's okay because, uh, I am getting very old. Um, well, in- interesting that, uh, your response to sort of contemporary stuff was, for me, my response initially to Christian radio when I came to the States, I came here in 83. Mm-hmm. And of course, I came out of an environment that was very, very different from one in which, you know, you could turn on the radio at any point in the day and there would be something. And I wasn't I wasn't immediately drawn to the thing, I must say, not because of any negative uh, dimension in the material, but just I, I it's just my doer Scottish attitude, I think, was... Very doer. Uh, yeah, very yeah. doer. And, uh, and also, I, 
I, I think I probably uh, made certain assumptions about why somebody would be doing that kind of thing, which was, you know, wrong to do and, and proved mm -hmm. wrong in the end. And actually, the way we came to it, well, I came to it uh, by uh, somewhat reluctantly, a young fellow in our church who is now in his 50s and a grandfather <laughs> was uh, working at uh, Moody Radio at that time. And he actually was the instigator of things because he went to Joe Stoll, who was the president mm -hmm. at that time. And, and, and basically, <clears throat> without, any, um, without letting me know, I uh, just began to annoy Stoll about the fact that he thought that his pastor might be worth being on the radio. And, and Stoll eventually relented and put us on in three stations and um, on, a, on a Sunday night. There was no obvious response to that. Um, and, uh, you know, the story developed from there. But uh, as to the question of uh, the radio, it's fascinating to me to recognize the interface that there is between standard radio and the Internet itself. And the figures for standard radio are different from what they once were, but they remain very, very solid. Hmm. And um, it probably has a lot to do with the demographic of the listeners as well, though. Right. So uh, let, let me start by, uh, let, let's talk about preaching for a moment, because we're talking about your preaching uh, on the radio, which of course is just, you know, you're preaching uh, at your church. How did you come to your your preaching style? Because I'm, I'm going to say this in the, uh, it sounds like a backwards compliment, but I mean it in the best possible way. I would say your preaching style is is very ordinary, meaning there's, I don't detect someone's homiletical method. Uh, so I was taught by Haddon Robinson, who has a very distinctive, and he was very good at what he did, and I learned things from him. I've never preached anything like him. You know, Piper, John is a friend of ours, he has a very distinctive style. Tim Keller had a very distinctive style. And you do in your, in, in your own way, and I say simple and ordinary in the best possible way because I often think, I listened, I've listened to a lot of your sermons, and I think, oh, he took us through the text, he explained the verses, he, he had some good illustrations, at the end uh, and throughout he applied it. Uh, I couldn't quite tell you what the homiletical method was, but it, it worked, and it gave us the Bible and led us to Jesus. How do you think about it? Who are your influences? And how do you think about your own preaching style? <laughs> that, that is a fascinating uh, little run there from you, Kevin. I, <laughs> I, um, uh, I, what was it you said? I, I don't detect the influence of any particular homiletic style, <laughs> which is a short step from, I don't think you have any particular, particular homiletic hom style. I, yeah. Well, actually, I do take that as a genuine encouragement. I, I must say that, first of all. I meant it as such. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and on a Monday, as, uh -huh. pa as pastors, we need encouragement. Yeah. Um, but uh, I haven't met anybody who is overly encouraged lately. The... Um, the influences on my life are um, probably in some ways similar to your own, uh, at least if you go far enough back. I mean, I had the privilege of uh, meeting uh, Dick Lucas mm -hmm. in, uh, in Austria in 1972 when I was 20. Oh, very, and very good. How are you, Alistair? Uh, yes, 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 exactly. Uh, uh, very good boy. preaching, yes. My yes. Dear boy. <laughs> and, 
And the the ordinary way in which he went about things mm -hmm. in his own distinctive sort of upper class English style has always been heavily influential on me. The, the fact that he had no histrionics, that he had no uh, huge dramatic intro, that he wasn't driven by anything at all, um, except his genuine desire to try and make sure that the big picture of the text was, was clear. I had the opportunity to listen to Lloyd-Jones preach uh, in real terms, and of course- In London? Yes, in London, yeah. and in Scotland, and, oh. in, York, and in Yorkshire. Really? Um, but, same, same everywhere well, he went? Yep, the, yeah. the same everywhere he went. Um, uh, the, the passage to which I would like to draw your attention is, yeah. and so he, may, he set his stall out, I'm going to draw your attention to a passage of scripture. That's what I'm going to do. That was his introduction. And that was his introduction, <laughs> almost standard introduction. Uh -huh. And and I, I, I guess I made a mental note of that. That's all right, that sets the stage. Then Eric Alexander, mm. um, uh, a very good uh, man in Buckinghamshire called the Reverend James Graham, another Scot who was expository in his style. The man that I became assistant to, Derek Prime, who was originally a history teacher and a very detailed guy. Um, all of these were influences on me, but I was greatly helped by a visit from um, the fellow who was my New Testament teacher, Donald Guthrie at, at LBC. Mm -hmm. And Donald came uh, to Edinburgh in the very early days, probably uh, 76, to give a lecture at the Theological Society at Edinburgh University. And he sat with us as we were having something to eat. And he said, and uh, how is it going with Derek? And I said, oh, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I said, you would like Derek very, very much. And I told how he had a study that had a huge desk. And on the one side of his desk, he had everything set up for his evening sermons. And on the other side of the desk, he had it all set up for his morning sermons. And he was able to give two hours to the morning, have a coffee, walk around to the other side of the desk and start wow. on the evening material. And as I outlined this for him, I expected Guthrie, who had written the New Testament introduction and mm -hmm. so on, to say, oh, my, my, yeah, that's terrific. And he said, he said, oh, Alistair, I would not like that at all. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, I couldn't possibly do that. And then he said to me, he said, listen, all the influences upon you, you must learn from every one of them, but don't try and copy anyone. Mm -hmm. You must, you could never be what he is. You're not put together that way. Just just go at it in your own way. And, uh, you know, I was his assistant at that point. I hadn't really had any opportunity to do expository preaching. But those kind of things have marked me and continue to mark me. I mean, I still, I, I, I was quoting John Stott last night. I mean, these these men were, were masters at the craft, and yet they were owned uniquely by the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the, there was a divine, a divine efflatus that accompanied what they did, whatever their style or approach. Do you found? I, I thought you were about to say the word unction, which yes. is a which well, is I a, used a, if, I used afflatus instead. I know okay. even a, even yeah. a more obscure word, but yeah, but it's a sorry. good word. Do, do you think that uh, you know when I've been to to Scotland, one of the things I love about it is. They'll, you know, someone will say, could you, could you speak to our minister's fraternal? Could you speak on the unction? Right. So I, I appreciate yeah. that emphasis. Uh, and yet I don't, I don't hear a lot 
about it. And I know there's an exegetical case, you know, is, you know, somebody kind of called me up on it. And they were, they were being nice, but they said, you know, where, where's your exegetical warrant for saying there's a particular anointing? Isn't the anointing in first John, the anointing that all Christians have like, yeah, but, but there's, 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 I think still a right way to speak about a Holy Spirit unction that comes upon us in preaching. Do you find that that's missing in emphasis and, or in reality in most preaching today? Yes, I would say with you that I, apart from our conversation right now, I don't think I've had a conversation about it in, in 12 months with anybody yeah. at all. Um, but it's never far from my mind. I, interestingly, in mentioning Derek, uh, in mentioning Dick, I was speaking at his conference a long time ago, or the EMA or whatever mm-hmm. they call it. And we were having coffee in the evening before, of the, before the event. And he said... Uh, so what are you giving us tomorrow, brother? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm doing the passage uh, in Thessalonians where he says that the word came, not uh, the gospel came not simply in word, but in the, in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And he paused and he said, well, just as long as you're not giving us any of that unction stuff, brother. Oh. <laughs> okay? Yeah, okay. I know. I've, so I think I've had that, that conversation. Knocked, that knocked me sideways. But subsequent to that, he and I were sitting together in, in St. Helens, listening to another man from another part of the world preaching in the evening service. And it was, it was standard, um, standard material in terms of uh, proclamation trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, there's the text and the one and the two and the three, and there we are, and let's just get on with life. And so we're walking back across London Bridge and we're not speaking. Dick is completely silent. And then he says to me, what are we going to do about that, brother? I said, about what? He said, well, it was just like a Bible study. He said, he just, he just said, look at this, look at this, look at this. I said, oh, Dick, you're not suggesting that, that we need unction. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in actual truth, when you listen to Dick with those hundreds of men on Tuesdays, delivering one of those 22-minute addresses. I don't care how clever he is. I don't care how good he is with the text. That is the accompanying power of the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit that enables him there. So, you know, what they say in Scotland is that the whole notion is better felt than telt. (laughs) <laughs> and, yes. and and so and so we don't I don't personally give uh, give any thought to it in the front of my brain when I'm actually preaching or even anticipating a preaching but I think we all know that there are times when somehow the wind is lifted up some th- things are are picked up beyond us I think almost every Sunday so I probably like you do I gather with some of my elders before yeah. the service and we pray and I'm always you know they always let Pastor Kevin, end the time. So I'm always the last person to pray. I think more weeks than not, that that prayer there with the elders, I say the word unction. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, w- would you send the Holy Spirit? And, and people right. in our church know one of my lines is, and I've used this in the prayer of illumination as well, I will say, uh, God, would you send your Holy Spirit to preach a better message than the one I'm about to preach? Yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah, meaning I'm I've studied and hopefully I'm prepared, but there there needs to be a, a supernatural interaction. And in fact, you know, years ago I'm sort of 
you know, embarrassed to, to say this, though it's not a mortal sin. We have brothers who who, who do this, but um, our, our church, we had a very kind of small sanctuary and we were really looking seriously at doing a multi-site video kind of model. We've had you know friends who have done that, though I think most of them now are moving away from that and saying, you know, these are really churches and right. we'll, we'll plant them as churches. But what finally dissuaded me and us from, from going too far down that road was something that I read in Lloyd-Jones talking about that preaching moment. Even if you're in a big room, did you preach in a big room? Uh, you can still see faces, and you mm-hmm. can see some eyeballs, and there's a you can you can sense slow down, speed up, get loud, get soft. It's not it's not acting. It's not you know Lloyd Jones abomination mm-hmm. uh, kind of preaching. It is, I think, in the best way at the best times, the Holy Spirit working to give a sense of there there is a communication transaction happening here that you can't have if. You know, it's recorded on Zoom, or you're watching it uh, live stream. You need to have there's there's a preaching moment in there. How do you think about that with all the thousands of sermons you've give you've given, and do you still do you still feel that when you get in the pulpit? Oh yes, I do, and I want to. I mean, I I don't ever want to not feel that that sense of immediate dependency mm-hmm. and and uh, um, bring, uh, seeking on a human level to bring people back from the second stages of anesthesia that they apparently have dropped into. Um, or, you know, Luther said, you know, I have, I have my regard, my congregation is full of lawyers and, and people, but I have regard for the servant maid. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak in such a way that it has engaged her. And so to that, to that point, yes, absolutely. And it also raises for me a question I'd be interested to get your response on, although you're answering the questions. Yeah. Lloyd-Jones's commitment to that, the notion of the existential Mm -hmm. reality of that preaching moment, was part of the reason why he did not like recordings and he did not like his stuff being used on tape, because he said, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And this then raises a very interesting (laughs) question about, you know, what, what happens in the transactional moment of that preaching event? In comparison to what what God chooses to do with uh, a plastic version of it that has now mm-hmm. found its way via the internet and beyond, so our conviction is not about the existential reality of it, but it it is about that the entrance of God's word brings light, that the word of God does the work of God, you know, by the power of the Spirit of God, and so He can do it in different ways. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, I know, and everyone who Everyone, every preacher needs to read Lloyd Jones preaching and preachers and, and reread it. And it's one of those books you can't possibly agree with everything he, he yeah. says because he has so many abominations. And I, he just had strong opinions. I think in the Ian Murray two volume biography that he you know he quotes Lloyd Jones talking about you know how how despicable it was that Englishmen were now insisting on taking baths once a week and so <laughs> such luxury. So some things do change, but he gets that you know yeah. My, my sermons are on the internet, yours are on the internet, and the clips go around, at least yours do. So I, I think there's the, the benefit outweighs the danger, and yet it's probably not spoken enough, if not a danger, at least a reality. You know, the same thing with Whitfield. Of course, we don't have Whitfield's recordings, and his sermons are good, but uh, you read Whitfield's sermons, and you, you have to go, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah. 
That's true. But even in his day, you know, kind of with some bravado, didn't he say, well, if you can find a way to print the thunder and the lightning, you know, yeah. then you can print my sermons. You think yeah. this is good, but you just know we don't have any idea. I mean, we, we, we kind of have to imagine what was that actual preaching event. And I think that's even you can go and listen to, you know, hundreds of Lloyd-Jones sermons, but to realize there was yeah. something happening. You know, Jim Packer would say is like that electric shock therapy in the room. I never of course, had the, the benefit of hearing him preach in person. He died when I was four years old. What what was that like for you when you heard him in person? Well, it's only after I heard him in person that people uh, would say, or I heard people say, you know, it's fascinating that Lloyd-Jones can preach for an hour and four minutes and you will never once look at your watch. Mm. And when they said that, I realized that that was exactly what had happened. I, I think that the... And incidentally, parenthetically, they say that he was far better in his native language of Welsh than really? even he was in English. Uh, so you think about that idea of the Hoyle, yeah. as the Welsh uh-huh. think about it. Um, his his approach to things, I often listen to him when I'm walking in the park, and and his, his, his beginning is always the same. Uh, I like to draw your attention, as we've said. But then he sets out the, the, the presenting problem and he approaches it like a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, this is a one way to diagnose this, this is the second way, this is the third way, and then he, he strips all of those away and then he moves to the heart of it. And the very logical progression of his thought, without being in any way abstruse, is, is, it, is compelling. And, and I find myself, uh, I, I, can, I can walk for an hour and, and, in, and never, never miss a beat. Because because of the uh, the the logic and 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 the delivery, he's not huge on illustration. He's not dra- taking you along in that way. He's not Haddon Robinson. He's far more fiery than John Stott was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating that, that somebody like Packer would, who is much more was much more stoical and right. cerebral. Um, benefited so immensely from the ministry of Lloyd-Jones. And what what you don't realize, because Lloyd-Jones doesn't do a lot of illustrations, and you might think, you know, he rarely gets to the end and says, now three points of application. The whole sermon is application, because it's just, it's brought to the heart. Uh, Our our staff here, we read, uh, every other week we meet our senior staff, and we read a book, and I get a pick the book that we read. So we get through about two or three a year and I've I've picked some real duds that they didn't <laughs> that they didn't like very much. And uh, so I finally just went, well let's do this one. I've read it a couple of times. But we did Lloyd Jones Spiritual Depression, which are just sermons. Mm. It's not really yeah. about depression, it's just kind of spiritual right. life. I mean uh, our staff just loved every bit of it. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, and who knows, 60 years ago he gave those sermons yeah, and they still yeah. speak because they're they're biblical. And one of the things that does for me, and it can be convicting because I do have, you know, there's a part of me that likes to comment on things and likes to, you know, I, I, I stir up some controversy sometimes. I've, I don't I've mean to, that. but I've you've heard, heard that. that. And, yeah. and I think there's a place for that. But you and I both know that the people whose whose ministries long outlive them are the ones that are steep are, are telling you about the Bible. 
and are mm-hmm. teaching you about Bible things and doctrine things. And yes, you need people in the moment to speak into this thing that just happened this week, but that, that quickly becomes ephemeral. I, I wonder, Alistair, can you ta- say a little bit about how you've set ministry priorities, parameters, because I've really respected you in that, and I, I mean it sincerely. You, you know, you do some conferences, but you don't. You, you must say no to ninety-five percent of the invitations that you you get. Uh, you have a lot of books. I want to encourage people to look out, <laughs> look for your new book on the Sermon on the Mount. Your two volumes of Truth for Life devotionals that might be a great gift to to get as uh, people come into the new year. So you have a number of books, but I sense that most of them or almost all of them are drawn from your sermons. So how did you set priorities? Because it seems like you very intentionally said, "I'm I'm preaching at my local church. I'm here at my local church," and you said no to a lot of other things that other men might have done and, and, and could have done, you know, wouldn't have been sinful because I do some of those things. I hope I'm not sinning, but I've really respected you for those priorities. Well, uh, you know, at the very essence of things, I, I, well, first of all, I'm a Christian and then secondly, I'm, <laughs> yeah. a, pa- I'm a pastor. Yeah. So, um, a, a, a good Christian is going to be committed to the local church, to reading their Bible, to prayer, to all those things. And so we had to we had to be doing that because of God's grace in our lives. But my calling to the local church is something that I felt very deeply. I mean, when I was ordained, it was a it was a dreadful moment for me. I I I mean that it was an awful moment for mm-hmm. me. That's better. Um, and because uh, although I felt myself willing perhaps to serve Jesus in some capacity, I thought there were ways that it could be done where I wouldn't lose any credibility with all my friends in the football team or whatever it was, you know. So you could do uh, student ministry, you could do music ministry, you could do sports ministry, but whatever you do, you don't want to become one of those pastor people. Mm. And it's a long story, but we didn't go into it. But so when I finally bowed my knee to that, it was it was it was like marriage. I mean, it was almost mm-hmm. it was almost we could almost define it in Roman Catholic terms. You know almost that sense yeah. that 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 sense of oblation, that sense of you know. I say to people that because in those days, seventy six at Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, uh, we still wore clerical collars. And and so even the Baptists, even the Baptists, wow. yeah, and and we, so you know, I, for the first time in my life, I put on one of those collars, and uh, and when I showed it to my wife, she just laughed uncontrollably. <laughs> You're not so, one of those people, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, so there you go, and that's that's it. Along the journey, I've had various opportunities to consider other ways of going about the mm-hmm. business. Um, not to my credit, but just reality. I, I've just never given them consideration. B- because I feel very strongly the, the, the call and also the privilege of doing what I'm doing. And, um, uh, you know, also Sunday by Sunday is what keeps me, mm-hmm. it keeps me honest. It keeps me accountable. It keeps because my congregation. No, you can't skirt. You can't skirt those middle verses of John six. You're going to have to deal with election. I mean, and and they know. And so I have to. And that sense and the joy of 
of preaching regularly to a group mm-hmm. of people that you couldn't impress if you tried, and you and only by dreadful sin could you dishearten them because yeah. we're together in that. Right. And that, I think, is not so much um, a reason for not doing other things as it is a safeguard for my own soul. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes say and, and mean it, there, there's no place I'd rather preach yeah. than my own church yeah. Sunday by Sunday. And it's not that some men, you know, m- might have a more itinerant kind of ministry, but uh, I would take that as something changing or something off in my heart if I felt like, oh, Sunday here at Christ's Covenant, yeah, we'll get through it. But you know what? In two weeks, I'm flying here to do this conference. Uh, That's the easier work, but it's it's really not the better work. No, I think, uh, you know, I come home from uh, events and I say to our congregation, you know, this is a good church. Mm -hmm. It's not a great church, but it's a good church. And I love being here. And they and they know that. And so that has allowed me a measure of freedom because I'm not absent from some of the things you're mentioning and neither are you. But to your point, those are not the drivers. Those, those are supplemental, they're not fundamental to what we're doing. In fact, there is no truth for life without That's Sunday right. by Sunday faithful work. There is no invitation for you or I to go to Conference X in you know, Brazil, apart from the faithfulness that you have shown to your people through the word on a consistent basis. That's why they want you. I hope that's why they yeah, want you. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, all right, I have to do a uh, LBE ad. So okay. grateful for uh, Crossway sponsoring Life and Books and Everything. And today I want to mention, this is a, is a good book, and there's a second edition by Scott Klusendorf, The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. I think I could say if you're a Christian out there and you want to be strengthened in your apologetic and understanding of the pro-life position, this is probably the best one volume out there. That's, that's my ad copy, not theirs. So Scott Klusendorf's book, The Case for Life. Uh, Alistair, I was in Scotland in May. I was speaking at uh, with, with uh, our mutual friend Sinclair, or Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just says, don't even try to say my name, how it's really pronounced. So I'll just do the right. American Sinclair sure. Ferguson uh, at the uh, Scottish Reformation Conference uh, with a lovely pastor up there who organizes it, David Carmichael from Abbey Green and Les Mahago outside of Glasgow. So we're right. there at Hamilton College. This is right around the corner from where you were pastoring. Right. Yeah. That's I don't exactly know. If, right. Would I have yeah. uh, driven by your church? Where is it relative to Hamilton College? It's well, it's uh, uh, Hamilton College is is on that main road. Yeah. That that runs in and out of, uh, of um, Hamilton. If you had gone past the college on your left-hand side and down to a set of traffic lights and turned right, uh, within within a mile you would have come to our uh, church building, which sits actually above the railway track and the railway station of Hamilton, uh, taking people into Glasgow. So you would have been very, very close. Oh, I should have gone and done the uh, yeah. Alistair Begg pilgrimage. Do you, know, you know who's there now is Craig Dyer. Do you know the name oh, of Craig yeah, Dyer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Craig was a 
Craig was a little boy in in shorts. He was a five or six year old when I was the minister really? there. And through all the many dangerous toils and snares, so, he, he has now arrived back there. And I spoke actually with uh, an older member of the congregation last week who was in Canada and wanted to talk. And uh, she was saying what a wonderful thing it is that uh, he is he is there and that the congregation is thriving under That's his great. ministry, which is which is no surprise. Now you've been in uh, at Parkside for forty years. It's yeah. amazing, forty years. That's a long it, time. Yeah, well, it's it's amazing, and I, I, that must have been a hard, a very hard decision to come. And when you came, not only to a new church, I know your wife's American, a great Michigander like myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you ever think that you would be there for forty years? No, no. I, 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 did they I was, think? Would they have called you if they knew? No, no, no. They, no, I was on a very short leash. I'm sure at the beginning, but uh, no, I could only see three years ahead of me at that time, and I and I say that because I had seen some friends accept invitations to America, and for whatever reason they came back again to the UK, um, and. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to accept this call and go out there, I, I don't want to fall foul of some mm-hmm. um, godless homesickness or something. So I determined that I wouldn't go home, all things being equal, for three years, that I would commit myself to make sure that I am there for three years. Not even visiting back home. Not even visiting okay. back home. No. I've got, Burn I'm, the boats I'm gonna, for three years. Yeah. I'm gonna, I came on a one-way ticket. <clears throat> I won't get a, a return for a while. And I'm glad that I did that because it it took out all the questions of, well, do you think I should go back for a visit or anything? No, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Why? Well, you made a covenant with yourself. You're not going back. And so that allowed me to set my shoulder to the to the wheel, as it were. And uh, no, if it, it, even even after three years, after three years when I went home for the first time, I, I had an opportunity to assess things. And the way I put it is this, I felt that whatever I was endeavoring to do, by and large, it didn't, it wasn't really gaining any traction at all. That I was Mm. uh, pulling the rope, but the bell wasn't ringing. And I suddenly realized that in many areas, the bell was not attached to the rope. Um, So (laughs) there had been uh, just general encouragements with an increase of uh, attendance and engagement with younger families and all those things for which we could be thankful. But in terms of actually changing or developing a, a, a biblical understanding and framework of the nature of the church itself and of leadership and everything else, um, I, I, that that had not that had not begun to take place. And so when I came back into the beginning of year four, that was very much a focus. How, how are we going to uh, do this to make sure? And uh, funnily enough, and this is a name that I hardly mention uh, ever, but uh, you remember uh, Al Martin? Yes, yeah. I was you just remember? Talk, uh, yeah. yeah, I was just, uh, and I, I'm met Al years ago when yeah. I was preaching in Michigan and was just yeah. talking to one of our pastors about him this morning. yeah. yeah. Well, a, a fascinating man that uh, I went to visit uh, after I'd come back at the beginning of year four, and I went to his house in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife was unwell, and he was making tea and stuff, and his persona on the on the tapes 
was sort of devastatingly strong and forceful. Mm -hmm. He said said outrageous things, I mean, by any standards. And so I felt perhaps when I met him, it would be, you know, like meeting a lion. But in actual fact, it, it, it was not like that at all until I began to lay out for him the, the problems or the conditions that I had encountered in this place. <laughs> and at one point he was sitting behind his desk and he stood bolt upright in the room and he had, he had one of his explosions. And, and he said, boy, he says, the, the only hope you have in that place is that you must see that church reconstituted under the framework of a New Testament structure. Otherwise, it will never happen. And so eventually I got on the plane, I came home, I said, well, at least I had clarity from the fellow. Right. And uh, how this unfolds, I don't know. But in the goodness of God, and not what, not in any exceptional way, but just again in ordinary ways, uh, God has, has blessed us in that regard because we're in many ways a hybrid of a church, aren't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have... I have uh, deep theological convictions about the doctrine of Scripture and salvation and everything, which are all shared by my people. And uh, my roots are Presbyterian in their form of church government, so we have an elder-ruled church, but Baptistic in our mode of baptism. So not everybody can cope with that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. and not every church can be developed under that kind of leadership. And so it's been essential that, that I've been able point by point to make sure that at least what we're trying to do is unfold the scriptures as we follow this track. Now, there are certain pastors that I think of, and it's hard to think of them apart from the place where they ministered, and and maybe most well-known in our days. You just, Tim Keller's ministry was just so much about New York City, and he was shaped by it, and, you know, a, a, a different not as much of a model, but like Rick Warren just seems very Southern California, Orange County. Even John Piper, I think John needs to, he needed to be in some place that was very, that had, you know, coldness, suffering, you know, Minneapolis or something. I <laughs> Otherwise, you, how could he, how could he wear a tweed jacket if that wasn't the oh, case? Yeah, 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 yeah. Even though he's from South Carolina, but uh-huh. it is, uh, you know, do you feel like you're shaped by Cleveland? I know Parkside's in the suburbs. It's not, you know, downtown Cleveland, but, or the Midwest or Ohio, you know, how have you thought about this place or has it been more just, you know, Parkside? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, I came from Glasgow, which was at one point the second city of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. So I love cities. And um, so I came to Cleveland in the awareness of what kind of city it was. Um, Nobody in Scotland was saying, you're going to Cleveland? Exactly, exactly. I've I've always wanted to visit Cleveland. No offense, Clevelanders, it's just the facts. Um, I I think maybe this thing comes almost full circle. You started off by saying Mm -hmm. your approach is fairly uh, simple, fairly ordinary. Um, and, And I think... It's good for me to be in a place like Cleveland, where when your feet uh, touch the pavement, it's not like Southern California. You know, and Neil Sedaka had a song that went, uh, nothing is real in cardboard California. Oh, Just yeah. getting up brings you down. And I love going to all those places, but I think I fit in this kind of essential Midwestern four seasons, basic kind of context. Because 
Glasgow is not Edinburgh. It's no. not Aberdeen either. It's 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 an it's an extraordinarily ordinary place. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, my my uh, we we for a long time did. Uh, uh, events in downtown Cleveland until the Presbyterian church we were using decided that what we were saying was far too true to scripture. So yeah. uh, they removed us. But um, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mess because when Michigan play Ohio State, I support Michigan and the people hate me for that. Yeah. Uh, people gave me Cleveland Browns jerseys in, in the early time when I came here. And I told them I don't like the colors and I'm not sure I like the team. And for 40 years, they've never won anything. So I have fun with that. But deep down inside, I, I love the fact that, you know, can any good thing come out of Cleveland? Nazareth or Cleveland? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, so again, God's word does its work. Yeah. I, I I'm not asking you to to bear any secrets you don't want to bear, but I would imagine over 40 years there, there must have been times where people came knocking to this other church, another place, maybe people in Scotland, Alistair, won't you come home, schools, Christian colleges, seminaries. Uh, I, I remember, I don't think this is telling anything out of turn. I remember talking to John Piper about this, and you know, he said over his years at Bethlehem, you know, it just never intersected. If he was feeling sort of, huh, maybe I... Maybe I should go somewhere. There were no opportunities. And when the opportunities came, he just was feeling like, no, with my family or what's going on in the church. Uh, how was that for you? I mean, there must have been some thought over 40 years of uh, maybe my season of ministry is done here. Well, one of the, one of the most, uh, to come back to this three-year thing, the first three years, one of the most staggering things that happened to us was that we received a call from Charlotte Chapel, where I'd been mm -hmm. the assistant because Derek had retired, which was at that time, you know, the number one evangelical church in the capital of Scotland. And it wasn't simply somebody phoned up and said, have you any interest in this? No. The elders had got together and called a meeting of the church. The church had voted and they sent really? to me, they sent to me a large envelope that was, uh, came from Ian Balfour, who was the secretary of the church and a lawyer. And it contained language in it that was quite staggering. Under God, the elders of Charlotte Chapel believe that you are the man that God designed and desires hmm. for this opportunity. And then it followed from there that they laid out uh, and the package of how they would bring me uh, all down to the details of salary and housing and purchasing and everything else. And I was completely bowled over by it. Um, and I remember Sue and I sat together in a little coffee shop in Chagrin with this in front of us. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, and, and this is an indication of how long ago it was, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to send a I'm not even going to write a reply. I'm going to fax a reply. <laughs> and I'm going to say no. And she said, really? I says, yes, really. I said, how, I would, if I accepted this call, I'd have to believe that the call that came to me to come to Cleveland mm. was some exercise in who knows what. I said, I, ca I can't believe that I came here on a fool's errand. And... I would love to be in my own country. I'd love to be in 
Edinburgh where our marriage began and everything, uh-huh. but I'm not going to do it. That was the first big one. That closed the door for me on anything else that would ever come from the mm-hmm. UK as it subsequently did. Because if I said no to that, Is I wasn't going to say yeah, yet. Yeah. yeah, that was good. At one point, our good friend Don Carson got in touch with me and said, you know, I think you would be terrific if you came here to Trinity and did practical theology for us. And I said to him, Don, what a kind invitation, but I couldn't do that. He said, why not? I said, well, number one, I'm a pastor. And number two, I would only have like about one lecture. And he says, oh, come now. I said, no, there's no come now. I said, I'm telling you what I know about that I could give in about a 45-minute talk. And he says, well, I think you're being self-deprecating. I said, well, thanks for the encouragement, but and thanks for the invitation, but no thank you. And and the other things that came, we, because we were seven and a half years in uh, using a church, in using a, a high school mm-hmm. facility um, after we sold our building. And then people would call up and say, hello, are you still in that school? Are you still, <laughs> you still got, n- quotes, nothing going there? Um, nothing going. You know, we've got, we've got this and we have that and, and we've got the next thing. And I, I suddenly realized if I could, and then it came, then it started, and I don't want to throw you under the bus with this, but then it started, well, I believe you love to play golf. You know, if you came down to uh, the Carolinas here right. to Raleigh, then you not only could, and I hang up the phone and say, Lord, would, I mean, I do love to play golf, but do people really think? That that's enough for me to. That's the way to dislodge me. Yeah, yeah, what I'm doing here. So to to um, to John Piper's point, I always say that to people. I say the same thing. To to make a move like that, there needs to be there needs to be two things: a strong pool and an unsettling of the roots. And if the roots are unsettled with no pool, you're still there and vice versa, which is the same point that John was making. I don't say that in any heroic way at all. Um, It is an immense privilege to be doing what I'm doing, where I'm doing it. The church offers me affection, and thank God they don't offer me adulation. And in that context, um, you're my friend. Relationships have extended throughout the nation, gospel relationships that may never, ever have been a part of my life were enough of the fight that I had uh, come to this place. And I'm daily, Monday morning, I'm daily thankful for it. I remember the illustration that you've, I heard you, maybe you've shared it multiple times. Usually if we find a good illustration, we do share it multiple times. But uh, (laughs) the little boy who had the man that said compliments are like perfume. Yeah. Sniff it, don't swallow it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, that 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 really is it. I told our guys the other day at our team meeting, I said, you know, you fellows are really, really good. You're really, really good. But I don't want you thinking that you're really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, though, I, I will, you know, people from my church, I'll laugh. They'll, they'll start uh, a conversation or they'll start an email with, now, Pastor, I, I I don't want you to get a big head, so they're yeah. going to say something nice, and I want to say, um, tempt me, you know. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you, you, you might not you might not think that I'm uh, I'm as riding high as as you expect. Yeah. So go yeah. ahead and tempt me with your encouragement. Yeah. So parishioners out there, we do appreciate yeah, your encouragement. Uh, okay, one one more 
add, and then if you can stay on for a few more minutes and a few more questions, uh, Ask Pastor John podcast from Desiring God. want to encourage you to check that out. Grateful to Crossway and to Desiring God to sponsor LBE. And uh, Tony Ranke has done, I, I read through it and I admit I plowed through it because it's really long, so I didn't read word for word, but he's put together 700 and. 50 Bible answers to life's most important questions. And that's Tony's effort to put to to give kind of a, a written synopsis of John's like 2000 hours of Ask Pastor John podcast. So John says there he's you could think of it as him making up for not having application in like 30 years of sermons or something. It's <laughs> here's all of, of the application. And he's just really so thoughtful on those questions. So check that out and grateful for desiring God. You mentioned, Alistair, you know, your homeland, Scotland. You became an American citizen, I think, about 10 years ago. So is it both? You know, do you, do you feel American now? I imagine there must be some sense in which, I mean, you're you're always Scottish, of course. How, how do you do this uh, this dual ethnicity? Yeah. Well, I hope that I'm doing it. I hope that I'm doing it well, both for um, the folks that I've left behind, who don't think that I fors- have forsaken them, mm-hmm. and I hope that I'm doing it well so that the people here know how much I love this place and uh, love American people. I, American people taught me. Campus Crusade people taught me how to share my faith when I was mm-hmm. 16 years old. Um, uh, so the influence of America in Scotland, Second World War influence, uh, Navy soldiers. There's a there's a wonderful thing there, and also in terms of uh, you know uh, the Open Championship in golf. Yeah, um, the, the, the Scottish people are able, to, in a non jingoistic way, are able to embrace uh, the winners uh, from whatever part of the world they come in a way that isn't necessarily the case. I'll illustrate it two ways, perhaps. In the early years when I was here, I would say to Sue, whatever happens to me, honey, if I die prematurely, make sure that you take my body home. I mm-hmm. cannot be buried here. I, 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 just mm-hmm. emotionally, you've got to tell me that you'll do that, okay? Um, that is long since in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is my home. My children, although they were born in Scotland, have grown up here. They have married here. My grandchildren are here. Uh, the people, church-wise and relationship-wise, are all embedded here. Um, but as soon as it comes to the Ryder Cup, it is absolutely really, unequivocal yep. that my heart— I've even tried. I tried to- one year when it was played in Wales to support America— and I just couldn't do it. I, my default has to go uh, to, to my homeland. So in that respect, I'm a happy, privileged citizen of the United States. But when I land in Glasgow or Edinburgh, I say to myself this little poem, uh, this is the country, the land that begat me, and these windy spaces mm. are surely my own. And these who here toil in the sweat of their faces are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And so that that can't be removed, but it is transcended by the gospel and by the nature of what it means to be in Christ. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. It, it, it prompts another question with you just quoting that. <laughs> you uh, questions. You, yeah, well, that's that's what I do. If you can yeah. uh, go for 10 more minutes no, or so. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, that we never get to talk. I you know. know. So I, yeah. I didn't even, usually I write out lots of questions. I just thought, well, this is my friend Alistair. I'll just right. ask him things I want to. You, you're very good at memorization. So you just did that. I've heard you do Shakespeare, uh, of course, Beatles songs, Bible, most importantly. In fact, if, if you've ever looked at your Wikipedia, page and I don't go looking at mine either but I just was looking at it. it's it's actually quite funny because it gets to the end and it says theological views or something and it's like Alistair believes in inerrancy and his oratory is known for often quoting the Bible like well okay yeah that's <laughs> that that is true uh, but you memorize things uh, is this is this a habit is this something you've always been very good at I mean it seems like you you can drop down a file folder and have a lot of hymns and Bible and scripture and little poems memorized. Where'd that come from? Well, I think you're, uh, what is it? Tolkien says the praise of the praiseworthy is, is double reward, but because I think you're uh, equal or better at this. Um, it's, a, it's a product of a number of things, I think. For example, we never had a television in our house mm. until I was 12 years of, of age. Therefore, books were always. Uh, books were my thing. I mean, I just, I, I just devoured books. I love books. People gave me books. I joined the library without my parents' permission and got in trouble for doing so. Um, and then the, the structure of schooling in Scotland in those days was, was uh, very much by memorization of things, learning things, being able to recall them and so on. So that sort of, that wired my brain in a certain way. And then... Um, uh, what I discovered was that the other side of my brain or whatever part of mm-hmm. your brain is that is supposed to be good at science and mathematics, that was virtually, that, that, that had not shown up. <laughs> that <laughs> that, that, that had gotten formed in the womb. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> was, that, that was a separate category altogether. And so I suppose it drove me further in the direction of the arts, of mm-hmm. history, and, and so on. And so both by... Uh, capacity and by incapacity, it turned me in that direction. And I've never really found things that are um, um, easily uh, easily re- remembered. I've, I've always found them easy to remember because, mm-hmm. especially um, if there's, I mean, just just lines. Uh, you know, I listened to something on the radio a hundred years ago, and I, it was a country western song, and and the line went. And you've been rearranging chairs on a ship that's going down, you know. And that was that was just lost. You know, it was you. like yeah. it's that's a great that's a great line, and um, and again because of British education, when you get to sixteen, you can determine in going to university which channel you're going down. And so unlike American education, where even when you go to college, mm-hmm. you still have to keep a mathematics course or something else. That all goes away at 16. So now I'm doing economics, I'm doing history, I'm doing English. And so I've cooked my goose, as it were. I mean, nobody's going to sign me up as a paramedic. And um, so that's, that's, that's really the... Uh, that's the background to it. Do you, I'm putting you on the spot because it's hard when you love books like you do and I do. And somebody says, what's a great book you you've read recently? I'm like, ah, I've read a lot of books, but do you have anything at the front burner Christian or not Christian book that you've read in the last year that you think 
I want to, that was, I, that was a great read. I loved reading that book. Well, I'm always wary of moving into the realm of uh, secular authors, especially in a context like this, mm -hmm. as if in case in, I'm giving endorsement to something that if somebody went to it. But I just finished reading. Um, I, I started on uh, Thanksgiving Day to read All the Light We Cannot See. And uh, having begun it because of the way I'm wired, I, I kept going until I finished all, all the way through the book. And I, I found that um, a quite fascinating piece of work on the part of the author. Um, in terms of a book that has impacted me uh, from a Christian perspective in the last um, five or six weeks, a book by a fellow called Beckett Cook mm -hmm. called A Change of Affection, mm -hmm. which I read uh, with great care and was struck by the clarity with which he addressed that issue. I found that wonderfully helpful. Um, anything that is, uh, that is I, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I find myself wanting to read theology. I, I want to actually read theology. And um, a new book, or new to me at least, that I have begun is from um, the bishop, the archbishop out in um, Sydney, well, uh, you know his, you know his name, the Jensen. And, uh, yes, and yep. and Jensen has just done. They've done, I guess, from some of his talks, a book on theology, and it's uh, fairly, it's down there. It's it's very very accessible, but um, I'm I, I'm reading that. I'm also reading at my bedside. I'm reading the book that they put out of Jim Packer's mm -hmm. um, um, Christianity Today pieces. Um, yeah. supplemented. And I, I, I gave up on it uh, just two nights ago, but I was reading his treatment of why he signed the um, uh, Roman ECT, Catholic uh, yeah. ECT accord. And so I haven't finished it, but I remember being disappointed by the fact uh, that he did. And, right. uh, and then he signed and the I, other one that was against ECT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, but watching you, um, four of my favorite books are immediately over your right hand shoulder, and that is the collected writings of John Murray. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yep. And uh, uh, Murray, I was showing Sue just yesterday that because she, she wanted to know where somewhere was on the map in Scotland, and as I guided her route up into the Highlands, I said, "And right here in Bonner Bridge, that is where yeah. uh, Murray was born and buried." And um, yeah, we thank God for him. Goodness, do we stand on the shoulders of oh, such amazing shoulders. There's a, I wish Banner of Truth, if anyone's listening, would, would publish it as a separate thing. In one of those volumes there is Ian Murray's, did a biography. It's about 130 pages or so right. in one of those. And really fascinating. Like I didn't realize that he, he married a student yeah. of his. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't start dating till after she was done as a student, but there was a big age gap. You see oh, the picture huge, there, which huge. you think is a, a grandkid, but it's, it's his child. I think it, right. when he was in his sixties, maybe. Yeah. 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 And, and really a, a, a pa always wanted to be a pastor. Yeah. Always wanted to be a pastor. And, and I think here's, here's a couple of things in all of this that just as you think about all these people we've mentioned, the essential humanity of them, mm -hmm. the sort of, the, 
the the down-to-earthness of Lloyd-Jones, actually, if you talk to his daughters, as I've had occasion to do, and ask them, what was he like on Sunday night when he came home from church? Or I think in that little biography to which you refer, you have the story, if it's not there, it's somewhere else, of Murray bidding farewell to his brother, who who was leaving for the war. And and you, again, you get this insight into mm-hmm. into the heart of the uh, of the man. Yeah, just um, yeah, it's very good real person. Let me ask you this: as as we come to a, a close, uh, I don't think you and I have talked about this directly, but it's a it's a broad question. Uh, how how have how do you make sense? And maybe we can't of what seems to have be happening in let's just call it conservative evangelicalism in the past six or seven years. Now, I think there's a lot to go good things, and I'm going to end by asking you for some encouragement, not for me, but just for our listeners. But I guess what I'm saying in this question is, it seemed like there was a season, you even look at the names of these organizations, which you know the two of us are familiar with or were a part of in different ways, together for the gospel, that's a togetherness, gospel coalition, that's a coming together, uh, even before that, alliance of confess. It seemed like there was a season of finding friends and coming together. And I don't think anyone would accuse this particular moment in church history here of being, of having that same kind of, uh, it, it seems like things have, have, become more more fractious, um, more factional. I think some of that is just there were there were maybe alliances that weren't as deep as as people thought they were. Some of it I think history will show, oh, you guys didn't need to be fighting over that, but some things are just the product of people focusing in different directions. I guess that's a roundabout way to say how have you thought about you know, what's happened over the last six, seven years from everything from, you know, Trump's a part of it, riots are a part of it, COVID's a part of it, uh, Christian nationalism discussions are a, a part of it. Zionism's and a part of it. Zion is, so um, what is it? Yeah, right. So I think a lot of people have looked around and said, I'm, I thought I, I thought I knew what the teams were mm. and now I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe they're not on my team, and maybe they are on my team. Mm. What what? How have you made sense of it? What's encouraging or discouraging you as you look out both across the pond and here? Well, here is where here is where one sense of calling to a local church is mm. so vitally important. Because I'm not called to a coalition, I'm not called right. to a, 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 to an organization. I'm actually called to this, and this is not only what gives me <clears throat> makes me honest, but it, it gives me a sense of security. I know that that this is what I'm doing. When I look across the horizon, um, I I distinguish between issues that are of secondary uh, value. And so I look, I look beyond somebody's uh, particular emphasis on that to see where they stand really in terms of the verities of the gospel. That, mm-hmm. and, and so I might be prepared to give them a pass. Well, okay, if you want to get excited about that, that's up to you. Where I get alarmed, though, 
is where those other issues, the kind of things we've just issued, mm-hmm. uh, appear to take on a primary emphasis. They, 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 they become a rallying point or they become a unifying factor. And as soon as anything other than the gospel itself becomes that, then we're, we're, all, we're all in danger. Um, we don't want to extol the value of uh, Sinclair Ferguson beyond the value of all that he is to us in the gospel. But he stands out for me as somebody who, although people try desperately to drag him into those mm-hmm. environments, he can sit silent in a, in a, in a group discussion and, and only say what would be valuable in being mm-hmm. said and, re, and uh, relieve himself of, of being sucked into the vortex that is created by some of those things. And so in that regard, I think he's, he's a model. I was, I was talking last night just briefly before our communion service about how um, the, 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 the framework of um, an understanding of humanity uh, both in ter- well, essentially in terms of Ecclesiastes twelve seven, mm-hmm. and uh, the body turns to the earth and the spirit returns to God, who who made it. Th- th- this was a fundamental underlying notion of Western civilization, if you like. Um, it wasn't <laughs> people weren't talking to one another in those terms when they met in the marketplace, but for for, for at least for a while, there was a sense in which there was that there, when that. When that goes, it doesn't leave a vacuum because the vacuum is then filled by, by all kinds of notions about death, about the afterlife mm-hmm. and everything else. And so what needs to happen is that we have to be grounded again in these essential truths about God, about being made in the image of God, about the linear progression of time towards a meeting with God. And so in the same way, we, we daren't, we daren't give up on those mm. fundamentals of gospel conviction and expect that our preoccupation with some of these other matters, which are not irrelevant matters, can become transcendent. I think in short order, we're very close to, to where uh, the UK was when SCM, uh, the, 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 the press, had gone liberal because of its convictions about social welfare mm-hmm. and caused uh, a group of evangelical scholars to set InterVarsity Fellowship in place. And, and IVF then began to publish Stott and began to publish some of these other places. I think we're in danger of that in, in, this, in this present climate. And so in positive terms... Um, I, I say to all my colleagues in ministry, let's let's remember that we were called to a local church. Let's do mm-hmm. the work of the local church and uh, believe uh, that there will be a harvest because the harvest has been promised to us. And don't become weary in well-doing. Don't go down those rabbit trails. Don't let the people suck you into that. Don't take sides over these issues. Keep quiet. And uh, where the gospel demands it, then speak up loudly. But in the rest of it, I say, just uh, leave it all on. Somebody actually wrote uh, into Truth For Life not long ago, saying 
and this sounds very self-aggrandizing, I don't mean it to, and I can't quote it properly, but the person wrote in to say, Alistair Begg, somehow or another, does not seem to get caught up in the contemporary debates about A, B, and C. He does not get caught up, but does not give up any conviction concerning the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the person, it was just a dash, and the person said, maybe he's on to something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. And, and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't have said it of myself, but when I looked at it, I said, well, I hope I am doing that because I'm not fearful of those things. I've got an opinion on absolutely everything. And uh, most of them are uh, not really for anybody other than myself. But I have got strong political convictions. I've got huge concerns about many of the things that are out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not unafraid of the challenge of addressing them, but I don't feel that I either have the voice or the position to insert myself in the in the dialogue. And And, and that's a great final thought. And it's so important. And I know lots of our listeners are are not just pastors, but for pastors out there, it's not that, I mean, we need Christians in politics. We need Christians uh, doing Everywhere. punditry, commentary, all of yeah. the things we need Christians in, uh, you know, medical policy, all of that. But the, the pastor is not the one to do all of that. And, right. and the, you, you can't, Yes, you know, if I see somebody in the grocery store, you know, am am I the pastor? If they see me, you know, mowing the lawn, you know, we hear these stories about our friends. I don't know if they're true, like Ligon or Sinclair. They mow their lawn in a suit or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I certainly don't. So I'm a very ordinary looking person, but yet you never can really take off. You can't say, well, I'm a pastor. Now I'm going to speak to you over here on this other issue, Right. not as a pastor, you carry right. that office and you carry that with you. And I just want to end by commending you, Alistair. I didn't invite you on here to to give you compliments, so sniff them, don't swallow them. But um, I've I've benefited from your preaching for a really long time. My mother-in-law would be angry with me. She listens to all of this, and you're one of her very favorite preachers. So she would want me to thank you personally for ministering to her and to lots of other people. And uh, as long as God gives you energy and strength in whatever season of ministry. Thank you for doing that. And check out Truth for Life. Check out Alistair's new book, The Christian Manifesto, Jesus' Life-Changing Words from the Sermon on the Plain, a book about which I asked you nothing, but still go and, and check out the book. So, <laughs> I'm Alistair, relieved. I'm yes. relieved. <laughs> uh, Alistair, thank you for your preaching. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. So thank you for listening to Life in Books and Everything, a ministry of Clearly Reformed. You can get episodes like this and other resources at clearlyreformed.org. And until next time, glorify God, enjoy him forever, and read a good book.